Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Friday, January 17th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Higgins, with a summary of election news. Today, Democrats plan to flip state legislatures before redistricting, the impeachment update, how senators plan to campaign during the impeachment trial, Gabbard challenges a voter to a push-up contest and you will not be surprised who won, a Republican House group says candidates need to raise more money on their own, while a Republican Senate group announces record-breaking fundraising. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, let's talk a little bit about redistricting. I know it's your favorite topic and mine too. But still, there is a nationwide effort by Democrats to flip state legislatures into Democratic control prior to redistricting that'll happen as the result of the 2020 census. The context for this move comes from 2010, when Republicans invested in a $30 million campaign to do the same thing for their party. And it worked. That allowed Republican-controlled state houses to redraw electoral maps after that census. The new plan is for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee to spend $50 million targeting key races in potentially competitive states. In a story by Maggie Severns for Politico, we get a sense of which states they're looking at. Quote, The group will start by targeting one or more chambers in Arizona, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Texas, and potentially expand over the course of the election to target additional legislative chambers in Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Montana, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. End quote. That's a lot of states, and I am not qualified to tell you whether $50 million is enough to make a substantial difference in all of those places. But the tools they're using sound pretty interesting. Reading again from Politico, quote, The DLCC and Civis Analytics have developed a modeling system that uses local demographics and data, including online surveys, to estimate the odds of winning individual state legislative races around the country, helping the committee direct its money optimally and keeping it focused on seats that can flip legislative chambers. The system helps the committee overcome the lack of polling in many state races. End quote. And, by the way, Civis Analytics was founded by the chief analytics officer for President Obama's re-election campaign. So, they probably have a good grasp on the math here. Now, in a separate story by Rafael Bernal in The Hill, we learn about efforts to expand and solidify the Democratic voter base ahead of November. This gets at the broad question of the voting coalition needed to elect Democrats, both locally and nationally. Quote, House Democrats' campaign arm launched a program Wednesday aimed at incentivizing minority voters to register to vote in 12 battleground districts. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, DCCC, will invest six figures in placing organizers in districts with large African-American, Hispanic, Asian-American, and Pacific Islander, AAPI, and Native populations. The effort, dubbed the Constituency Organizing Program, is intended to rally minority communities in nine Democratic-controlled districts, as well as three vulnerable districts where a Republican incumbent is retiring. We are not taking anything, or anyone, for granted in 2020. This on-the-ground investment in building trust with core communities is another early, intentional step to engage and organize in communities of color, said DCCC Chairwoman Representative Sherry Bustos. End quote. 
So both of these efforts are evidence of the many, many moving pieces in the 2020 election. Obviously, a lot of people are currently focused on the presidency, but national races for the House and Senate are a big deal too. More on that later in today's show. But as these two stories demonstrate, Democrats are also actively campaigning in individual states at the local level for local elected officials. So in short, there will be lots of races to watch as the year goes on. And now, the impeachment news in three minutes or less. The big news today has to do with President Trump's legal team. These are the lawyers who appear in the Senate trial to present his defense. According to media reports this morning, that team includes Ken Starr, the independent counsel you may remember from the Clinton impeachment. Then there's Alan Dershowitz, the Harvard professor, constitutional scholar, and occasional attorney for celebrities. And then we've got Robert Ray, who was independent counsel on the Whitewater Affair, which is another Clinton throwback. And then you've got White House counsel Pat Cipollone, plus Trump's personal lawyers Jay Sekulow and Jane Raskin. Rounding out the team is former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. And there may be more, but that's what I've got at press time. Okay, so that's the actual update on impeachment. And because I can, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about a matter of the Senate process that I find fascinating and a little fun. During yesterday's proceedings, the sergeant-at-arms of the U.S. Senate, Michael Stenger, delivered a statement to senators that sounded a little alarming. Let's listen to that super short clip. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All persons are commanded to keep silent on pain of imprisonment, while the House of Representatives is exhibiting to the Senate of the United States articles of impeachment against Donald John Trump, President of the United States. Okay, so what's up with that? Well, writing for Roll Call, Catherine Tully McManus explains it all. If you're curious, go check out that link in the show notes. It is a terrific read. But here is a relevant snippet. Quote, That warning might be overblown. Any rowdy conduct won't send any senators straight to the clinker. Raucous behavior would first be met by a gaveling down by the presiding officer, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr., Roberts would then ask the senator to take a seat, and if the senator objected, the presiding officer could make a ruling that the sergeant of arms would carry out if necessary. Decorum guidelines are outlined in Rule 19 of the Senate Rules, and allow the senator to make an appeal of the ruling. On paper, the rules appear straightforward, but no Senate has ever been forced to actually imprison one of its members. End quote. So, Tully McManus then goes on to explain a variety of historical examples where this issue has arisen, including one where a senator brandished a pistol at the sergeant of arms while on the Senate floor. Nobody was shot, and eventually the matter was resolved. One more fun fact from that article is that the Senate has no secret jail, and the same is true of the House, despite comments to the contrary by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. There is yet another article by the same author explaining that whole jail situation. Historically, yeah, there actually was a holding cell in the basement of the Capitol for people held in contempt of Congress. But at present, this kind of imprisonment has put people in offices or even hotel rooms for brief periods. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Next up, let's talk about how the four sitting Democratic senators running for president plan to campaign in the primary while they are stuck in the impeachment trial. As a reminder, those senators are Bennett, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren. And also as a reminder, the Iowa caucus is in 17 days, and the trial is expected to go on beyond that. The short answer is surrogates. The senators are planning to send out a bunch of well-known folks who have endorsed them to campaign on their behalf. Reading from an article by Sabrina Siddiqui for the Wall Street Journal, quote, Aides to Senator Sanders said that while he is off the campaign trail, they will rely on surrogates, including a trio of freshman lawmakers. Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, regarded as rising stars within the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. Sanders' aides also said they are confident he is well-known in Iowa because of his 2016 White House bid and a robust operation in the state. An aide to Senator Warren said the senator is dispatching all three of her campaign co-chairwomen, Representatives Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, Katie Porter of California, who is an Iowa native, and Deb Holland of New Mexico to Iowa over the coming weeks. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota will hold tele town halls while she is in Washington and will send surrogates to Iowa, including Minnesota Governor Tim Walls, Ms. Klobuchar's husband, John Bessler, and her daughter, Abigail Klobuchar Bessler, a campaign aide said, end quote. I don't have any word on how Bennett plans to handle this, but I presume a similar strategy is in the works. To be super real with y'all, he may drop out of the race at some point in the next few weeks. After all, Senator Cory Booker cited the impending impeachment trial as one of his reasons for leaving the campaign trail on Monday. And Booker, when he dropped out, was ahead of Bennett in the polls. Here's a story that I think is kind of fun and maybe a commentary on our current political system. At a town hall in Manchester, New Hampshire last night, a voter asked Representative Tulsi Gabbard whether she would be able to beat former Vice President Joe Biden in a push-up contest. Remember, Biden has previously suggested push-up contests to voters, though to my knowledge he has never actually engaged in one, at least not publicly. Gabbard decided to take it to the next level. Gabbard responded to the man, quote, My educated and informed guess would be yes. However, Joe Biden may have some superhuman push-up ability that nobody knows about. But I would take most people to a push-up challenge, end quote. And it didn't stop there. The man joined her on stage, they got on the ground, and began to do push-ups. There is video, by the way, of all of this. 
After a reported 20 push-ups, the man gave up, rolled over, and Gabbard stood up and took the win. But again, that's not where it ended either. Reading from a story by Megan Flynn for the Washington Post. Quote, The dude clearly had at least 20 more in him, one apparent skeptic wrote on Twitter. So did I, Gabbard responded to him. A spokesman could not immediately be reached for comment to confirm how many push-ups Gabbard actually did or could do. End quote. Earlier this week, I talked about record-breaking fundraising in 2019 by the DCCC, a Democratic group that funds congressional campaigns. At the time, we didn't have a final 2019 number for the NRCC, which is the Republican equivalent. And we actually still don't have that number, but it is widely assumed to be somewhat less than what the Democratic Committee brought in. Reading from a story by Max Greenwood for The Hill, quote, Our members need to get their act together and raise more money, National Republican Congressional Committee Chairman Tom Emmer said at a breakfast event hosted by the Republican-aligned Ripon Society. The individual campaigns need to raise more money. They cannot expect somebody else is going to do it for them. And they're going to hear that from me when we come back after the break and we see all the final numbers, he said. End quote. Regardless of this indication that House GOP members should step it up on their own, Emmer went on to suggest that he fully expects the House to flip back to Republican control in 2020. In the same sentence, he also admitted that the last time this happened in a similar election cycle was 1952. Okay, so we were just talking about Republicans in the House, but what about Republicans in the Senate? Well, they are breaking fundraising records just like Democrats in the House. Reading from an article by Tal Axelrod for The Hill, quote, The National Republican Senatorial Committee, NRSC, the body charged with electing Republicans to the Senate, raked in $70 million in 2019 as the GOP works to protect, or potentially grow, its majority come November. The $70 million haul, first reported by Politico and confirmed to The Hill, included $7 million in December alone, and drastically exceeded its previous record for off-year fundraising. The committee's previous record for fundraising in an off year was 2017's $42 million, end quote. So again, we get back to the math of the House and Senate in terms of seats that might be competitive, meaning someone from another party might win that seat. According to a tally by The Hill, and you can disagree with this, there are as many as five seats currently held by Republicans that might be competitive there are two or maybe three Democratic seats that are also maybe competitive. And remember, Democrats would need to pick up a net of four seats to actually gain a majority in the Senate. So still a long shot, but on the Senate side, we have basically the reverse of the House side. Republicans are raising big money and trumpeting those big numbers, while Democrats are keeping a little bit quieter for now. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter at Chris Higgins or on the web at ChrisHiggins.com. If you want to keep in touch with me, those are the best places to do so. All right, it is time to wrap up my last show here. I want to leave you with a fairly long quote by Kevin Kelly, who was a writer and photographer. He edited the Whole Earth Review and a little magazine you may have heard of called Wired. All right, here's the quote. 
In the long term, optimists decide the future. It's the optimists who created all the things that are going to be most important in our lives. Because it was optimists who built and invented all the things that are now important in our current lives. And I think people behave better when they're optimistic. There's absolutely a need to be critical and doubtful and skeptical and even pessimistic. Just like if you have a car, you have to have brakes. You can't have a car, no matter where it is, without brakes. But it's the engine, the optimistic engine, that keeps going and going and refuses to stop, and is only concerned about going forward that really drives a car. End quote. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all down the road. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.